Welcome to the Reach College Podcast with your speaker, Pastor Taylor Gatt. We live in a kingless chaos. Because he did not want God to get the glory for what was about to happen. When I was in high school, one of the things that I, I don't know about you guys, high school always seemed like chaos, right? There's just, there's so much going on. There was just always this kind of uh, trying to grasp whatever amount of control you could have over the situation you were in. Um, But ultimately it was chaos. I know that uh, it was different. High school was different for me than it was for you. I saw the documentary, High School Musical, so I think you guys all had a lot more singing and dancing. And weird. None of that was in high school when I was there. But ultimately, it was a pretty, it, a pretty chaotic experience, right? Well, when I was in high school one time, somebody, uh, somebody spread a, a lie about me, right? A rumor. I'm sure almost everybody in this room has had that experience at some point. And I... I fought that rumor with all of my might. Like I did everything I could to control that rumor and keep it from spreading and to constantly be trying to uh, force people to understand that it wasn't true or that my version of what happened was the correct one, right? And so I, I spent a lot of time really frustrated trying to deal with this situation that I didn't really have control over, but I wanted to have control over. And in that, in the process of that, I didn't really trust that God was the one that was going to take care of me or take care of that situation. Meanwhile, um, pretty much like every homework assignment I got or test I got, it was just kind of like, oh man, school's so difficult. I'll, I have to like, skim the chapter and try to pass the quiz or I have to like, you know, look at somebody else's homework assignment or something. And it was, I was always kind of just trying to get by in grades, which if I, if I, if you think about it for 10 seconds, if I had spent nearly as much effort just reading the assignment or doing the homework, I would have made what even 10% of the effort that I spent trying to control that rumor I'd have made way better grades because I couldn't control the situation of that lie, even though I tried. And yet the one thing that, that God had given me just to be faithful with my homework assignments and my tests, uh, I wasn't. So the, the, the place where I should have had some kind of input, I opted out of because I, I was too weak to handle what God had given me to handle. I didn't trust him that if I was just diligent, that he would deliver on my diligence and give me the results of doing that. And then in the other place where I should have totally trusted God, I was so strong that I was going to fix it. I was going to control it. I was going to make it be what I wanted it to be, and it never was. It never ended up panning out the way I wanted it to because it was all about me. In both of those situations, I wasn't trusting that God was going to be the one to deliver, whether it was faithfulness to me doing my homework or 
faithfulness to him protecting me from lies and deception. We are talking about Samson. And last week, we saw that Samson, the Philistines, his wife, everybody involved in that story was trying to maintain control. They were trying to ensure that some outcome happened the way they wanted it to. Samson was controlling the situation to get a wife. He was like, this is the one I want. She's right for me. I'm going to make this happen. But he doesn't actually have the control in that situation to accomplish what he... Now, it starts to pan out for him. It looks like he's going to get what he wants. And we know at the end of chapter 14 that his wife is, is given away. So he is unsuccessful in controlling the situation. The Philistines tried to control the situation uh, to get the answer to the riddle with violence. They threaten his wife. They say, we're going to burn you and your whole family, right? And so they are they're controlling with, with violent means. And the woman, in an effort not to be burned alive, instead of trusting in God, instead of going to Samson, she manipulates Samson, she betrays Samson, and she is trying to control the situation to avoid a certain consequence. Everybody in this moment is trying to have control. They're doing what we all naturally do. As soon as there's a problem, as soon as there's something bothering us, we respond by fixing it ourselves. But the Bible's pretty clear that the whole point is not to fix things yourself, not to be, not to be the person that uh, solves the problem, but to go to God. To go to God and let Him solve the problem. So, today we're going to see that that in Samson's life, as, as these events unfold, there's only one person that's going to be undefeated, and it's going to be God. He's the only person who's going to win in everything. And in the midst of chaos, we're going to see that everyone loses except for God. See, in the chaos, we try to control the outcome instead of trusting in God. So if you'll look with me, look at chapter Judges chapter 15, starting in verse 1. But after a while, in the time of wheat harvest, Samson visited his wife with a young goat and said, I will go in, I will go in to, to my wife in her room. But her father did not let him enter. Her father said, I really thought you hated her intensely, so I gave her to your companion. Is her sister not more beautiful than she? Please let her be yours instead. Samson then said to them, This time I will, be, I will have been blameless regarding the Philistines when I do them harm. Okay, the first thing I want you to notice is that between the wedding and now, the, the key indicators we have with the wheat harvest and what time the wedding was, uh, it has been months. He stormed off after the wedding, uh, did not spend the night with his wife. He storms off after the wedding and has been gone for at least two or three months. So he is that stubborn. He is just now coming back to try and make things right with his wife. He's been gone so long he has no idea she got married to somebody else. Right? She's been given away from him. So uh, I want you guys to notice, just take note, if you ever need to apologize to a girl, biblical advice says bring her a young goat. So <laughs> I think that will solve all your problems. Um, so, so Samson, he goes back to her, and he, what does he get? He gets offered her younger sister. Now, this is not only an insult, it's actually... Uh, prohibited in Leviticus, right? So this is not just uh, an insult to him, like, well, you can't have the girl you wanted, but, you know, we got our younger sister here. It's also 
against God's law, and he would have known that. So uh, it's an insulting situation. And then he says in verse 3, something interesting, he says, this time, this time, I'll be blameless. See, he's already killed some Philistines, but he, he seems to be aware that he did that out of just like petty anger and not with any kind of justification. And he says, this time, this time I have a reason. And he's ignoring, by the way, that he's always had a reason to be at war with the Philistines. It's God's call on his life. But he's ignoring God's call on his life, and he's making it only personal. It's only about him. But this time, he's going to be justified. So then look in verse 4. And Samson went and caught 300 jackals and took torches and turned the jackals tail to tail and put one torch in the middle between two tails. When he had set fire to the torches, he released the jackals into the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to both the bundled heaps and the standing grain, along with the vineyards and olive groves. Then the Philistines said, Who did this? And some said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he took his wife and gave her to his companion. So the Philistines came up and burned her and her father to death with fire. First of all, how long do you have to stay angry to catch 300 jackals? (laughs) <laughs> and you're just like right, just like oh, I'm gonna get them like as you're catching up that's an impressive feat and it becomes clear that like that like Samson has done this all by himself like he caught all these jackals now jackals I looked them up they're like a mix between a coyote and a fox they actually live in pairs um, or and some somewhat in herds they're kind of a herdable animal but still he does this himself right 300 and part of the significance of him doing this himself is that he at no point wants to acknowledge that he needs God or anybody's help. He's going to do everything himself. This is a pride issue. And by the way, if you don't see some of that in yourself, you need to look harder because we all have this tendency to be in charge of our lives and our destinies and our outcomes and tell God, like, I've got this. Tell our friends, I've got this. I mean, don't raise your hands, but how many of you have trouble asking for help? Like, we constantly won't go to people and say, I'm struggling. I need something. I need you to to come through for me. That is, by the way, the exact opposite of what God's Word tells us to do, which is to bear each other's burdens, to go with each other uh, through all these trials. But Samson is determined. He is going to do it himself. So, um, and then notice what happens. We had the woman in chapter 14, her entire goal was to avoid being burned up with her family. And what happens? In the end, because she didn't trust God, because she wasn't glorifying to God, because she was manipulating the situation, she ends up getting exactly what she was trying to avoid. She gets burned up. The Philistines basically blame her for the problem. They're like, if not for her and her father, we wouldn't have this problem. And so they kill her. And by the way, this plan, this plan, if you notice, all, if it lists all the things that get burned up, this plan wreaks massive havoc. This would have been huge, all like life-changingly huge for the Philistines to lose this much food. And some of those plants, by the way, some of those plants grow back yearly. Some of those plants take three years to recover, right? So he has done years of devastation with this attack, okay? Look in verse 7. Then Samson said to them, If this is how you act, I will certainly take revenge on you, and only after that will I stop. So he struck them ruthlessly with a great slaughter, and afterward he went down and lived in the cleft of the rock of Edom. Okay, 
The Philistines in chapter 14 were trying to control something with violence. And what happens? They are met with violence. This word, it, it uh, I can't remember the Hebrew, it's an idiom that means like uh, hand to thigh or something, but it basically means he slaughtered a massive group of them. He destroyed them in this fight. And so this is them getting exactly what they were trying to control against them, right? And then what happens to Samson? Samson, who was trying to control having a wife, he ends up living in a rock alone. I want you to understand what's just happened. At the beginning, in the first eight verses of, of chapter 15, we've seen this. Everybody loses but God. There's no winner here. There's no one that gets to walk away and go, I got what I want. I, I, I got what I want, and, it, and I didn't have to worry about God, or I didn't have to worship God, or I didn't have to do it God's way. No, every single person involved loses. God is the only person getting what he wants out of this, which is that his judge has been kept away from intermarrying into a pagan nation, and that pagan nation has been brought judgment. Even the person who betrayed his judge, his chosen representative, has been burned. Everybody loses but God. It also shows us the total canonization of the time. Samson is not walking around doing these things because he's on the war path. He's representing God. He's doing all this because he's selfish and he's angry. He's acting just like a Canaanite. He looks no different than the rest of the world around him. He doesn't look like God's chosen representative. See, this is how we look without a king. Chaos. Frustrated. Losing. We live in a kingless chaos when we don't submit to God. But God is the king of chaos. So you notice that in all the chaos... And all the people maneuvering, trying to get what they wanted, God didn't have a single problem getting everything he wanted. He got everything that he, as the king, deserved to have. And since nobody was serving him, they didn't get to participate in that. This isn't even chaos to God. If your life looks like chaos, you need to understand God is not up in heaven looking at your life going, oh, wait a minute, how do I deal with this? He gets it. He can handle it. It's not chaos to him. Now, in chaos, some people react with weakness. Let's look. Sorry, we're going to be starting in verse 9. What we're going to see here is a lack of trust. A lack of trust for what God is doing by the Israelite people. Look at verse 9. Then the Philistines went up and camped in Judah and spread out in Lehi. Some of the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? And they said, We have come up to bind Samson in order to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Edom and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, Just as they did to me, so I have done to them. The Philistines attack and the Israelites by the way, having no idea what's going on with Samson, they're just like, why is this happening? Now, what is that? Pressure and confusion. In your life, there is this constant pressure and confusion. Something's always pushing you. Something's always coming into your life to cause you to be disrupted. The goal is that you would seek God. 
The Israelites don't do that. So they go to the Philistines. They say, why? Why is this happening? Why are you here? And the Philistines say, what? They say, we've come to do to Samson as he did to us. The golden rule, right? It's, it's a manipulation of the golden rule. It's their twisted view on it. It's this idea of like, well, he did, so I'm going to do. Is this not how we treat people? All the time, we're like, well, you know, an eye for an eye. And we don't understand like what, like the turn the other cheek mentality is is counter, not cultural, it's counter humanity. We understand easily the idea of getting revenge. That's why what Jesus did in his life was so different, was so opposite, right? The Philistines right now, they're exhibiting typical human behavior. Now, I want you to see what happens. It says 3,000 men went down to get Samson. 3,000. An entire army of Israelites went down to get Samson, not rally behind Samson, God's chosen judge and deliverer for them. They went down to get him and submit to the Philistines. They have an army's worth of people that they are using to, instead of rallying behind God, submit to their enemies. That This is a completely ironic moment because they should be looking at Samson and going, hey, with God's chosen deliverer and 3,000 people, the Philistines don't stand a chance. They've been given the means by God to, to, to throw off their oppressors. But instead, they react in weakness and in fear. And as they react in this weakness and in fear, they go down to Samson and they say, uh, they say, hey, what have you done to us? Right? They're worried about themselves. They say, what have you done to us? And what does Samson say? I did to them just as they did to me. Ah, uh, yeah, the golden rule again. And I want you to notice this. The judge of Israel, God's chosen representative, has the exact same logic and reasoning as the pagan Philistines. Identical. The reality is in this moment, nobody looks like they're following God. Nobody is reacting in a way that brings God glory or praises Him. Everybody's just handling it themselves. Even the judge, even the person that should be the most in tune with what God's Spirit's doing and what his, the call in his life is. Remember, Samson was dedicated before birth. He's known his entire life, and yet he has done nothing except conform to, this, to the cultural way around him, to humanity. He's not representing God in this moment. My question for you is, do you act just like the world around you? Do you trust God or do you look just like your pagan friends? Right? The reality is if you react to everything in your world the same way your non-believing friends do, how, like, how do you know you even have a relationship with, with God? We react differently because of the Spirit of God that's been put inside of us. The gift of God that changes our hearts. Samson in this moment looks just like his enemy. I heard um, I heard my dad say one time, he said, the sin of being poor and working three jobs because you don't trust God to provide is the same sin as being rich, so rich that you don't think you need God to provide. Both of those sins are self-sufficiency. So I want you to see here, 
the Israelites are reacting in a weakness. They are saying, we don't think God is going to handle this. We've got to just submit because our rulers are the Philistines. They're reacting with a lack of trust for God, but it's the same pride that leads a rich and powerful person to say, I don't need God. I'll handle it myself. At its root, it is refusing to acknowledge that we need God, that we need a king. This, by the way, this entire chapter, I don't know if you've noticed the degradation. of. you've been here through the whole series of Judges, we're just going downhill. We are getting darker and darker. We look more like the world every chapter. This is your life if you are not submitting to Jesus, if you are not following the king. Are you self-sufficient? God is not weak. We are weak. But we, we don't respond in weakness. We respond in His strength and understanding that He is going to provide. He is the King in weakness. Some respond with weakness and others respond in strength. Does it ever feel like your life is just, just not going just right? Like you just can't seem to get the last piece in place and it, something's always shifting, something's always wrong, there's always a new problem. Like why, why is it that I can't just, if everything went the way I planned it, everything would be fine. It would be perfect. I would not have to worry. I just need this one more thing. I just need this raise at work or I just need this relationship or I just need whatever that's going to solve all my problems. And yet that thing that's going to solve all your problems is just always just right out of reach. Or you finally get that thing and you just have new problems, right? It, it doesn't work where you're just, you just get to be self-sufficient. Here's the reality. If you're responding in your strength that you're going to fix your world, God opposes that. And he and why? For your own good. Because the reality is it's an illusion that you can provide for yourself. You need to see your weakness so God lets you not, not really get there, not really fix your problem. He ensures that you're constantly going, I, I, just, I just can't get, the, I can't get this done. I can't get this thing fixed. And he's like, yeah, exactly. And you can't do that with anything else in your life. And you also can't get to heaven, right? You can't do this without God. And he wants you to see that. Look in verse 14. Oh, I'm sorry. Look in verse 12. Then they said to him, We have come down to bind you so that we may hand you over to the Philistines. And Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not kill me. So they said to him, No, but we will bind you tightly and give you into their hands. But we certainly will not kill you. Then they bound him with, with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines shouted as they met him, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him so that the ropes were on his, uh, so that the ropes were on his arms were like flax that has burned with fire, and his restraints dropped from his hands. Then he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, so he reached out with it, um, out with his hand and took it and killed a thousand men with it. Okay. The Philistines come out to greet him and they charge out with a war cry. That's what it means. When they, when they shout, what they're doing is they're essentially charging into battle against the guy who is tied up, right? That's how arrogant they are. They're like pumped up. They've caught their enemy. They're going to go give it to him because he's had this coming. So they charge out like they're going into battle. Samson's literally tied up, right? This is not impressive. 
But this is their strength response. Ah, we defeated our enemy. We did so much to accomplish this victory. Like, look at us go, right? It's really strong. Then Samson, I want you to notice, does not break the restraints. Sometimes when we, we, we kind of fly by this passage, we think that Samson, because we know Samson's supposed to be this, like, strong character, we think that Samson, like, just like did one of those like flexes where like everything just snaps off of him like that's not what happens okay it says that the rope burned off of his body when the spirit of the lord rushed on him what's happening god is delivering him god has uh supernaturally given him his freedom and shown him i'm about to accomplish something here i'm about to make sure that this goes a certain way and then he immediately grabs a jawbone of a donkey that is the text wants you to read that this is a fresh jawbone so it's a, it's a brand new jawbone right so it would have been hard um if you can think of like the shape of a jawbone jawbone this is probably not like the greatest weapon you could pick up um i don't know like the like what part he's holding or how exactly he's using this as a weapon it doesn't seem like super feasible but you can tell yourself like well there's probably not a lot around and, and the thing is, we, we kind of do that. There's this, again, there's this like almost 50,000 view of this text where it's like, what, what was he supposed to do? Like he, he didn't have anything with him. He just got done being tied up. So he grabs the first thing he sees, right? And then, but then we're going to blame him because he's a Nazarite. He's not supposed to touch a dead body. He's defiling his vows again. So there's this kind of like, I mean, what else was he supposed to do? He's about to fight a thousand people with no weapon. I don't know. But you have to understand the parallel that's going on in the text here. When was the last time that the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon Samson? It was when a lion attacked him. And it says, and when that lion attacked him, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and he ripped the lion apart with his bare hands. And I made the argument that he knew exactly what happened. He knew that the Spirit of the Lord gave him that victory in that moment. How How did I make that argument? Because he didn't tell anybody. He did not want God to get credit. He did not want to glorify God. If he thought that he, in his own strength, had ripped apart that lion, he would have been telling everybody. He said, yeah, that's how awesome I am. I killed a lion. But he doesn't tell anybody because he knows that the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. So in this moment, he knows that the Spirit of the Lord has rushed upon him again. He knows what that feeling is. And he knows that because of the Spirit of the Lord, he can be successful with his bare hands. He can give glory to God by leaning into what God is doing and fighting this fight with no weapon whatsoever. And he chooses. It says he re reached out with his hand. This is to show you this is a choice. He didn't go, oh, I'm backed into a corner. Uh, there's a bone. No, he reached out and he defiled himself on purpose because he did not want God to get the glory for what was about to happen. He wanted this to be about him. That's why he takes the jawbone. Don't miss this. This is him being self-sufficient. He is ignoring God's provision and handling this in his own way. Then look what happens. He kills a thousand men. And then look in verse 16. And Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, I have killed a thousand men. When he had finished speaking, he threw the jawbone from his hand, and he named that place Ramath-Lehi. Okay. 
First, he composes a poem. Now, a little word plays going on here. The word uh, jawbone and the word heap in Hebrew, they're the same. So this, this would sound like, uh, I think the word is Lehi. So it would sound like Lehi, 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 Lehi. You know, it's, a, it's a kind of a pun type poem. But, the, but he constructs this poem with one thing in mind. It revolves around the weapon that he chose to use. And then he names the place... Ramath Lehi, which means high place of the jawbone. And this is not a hilltop, by the way. The high place is the pile of bodies that he has stacked up in this battle. He wants everything about this situation to revolve around the fact that he did it with a jawbone. This is a him victory. Everything about this moment is set to glorify Samson. He's in charge, and he wants every memory of this, ba- this battle to be associated with the fact that he did this with this weapon, and it has nothing to do with God. He is stealing credit from God, who he knows is the reason that he was even able to be freed from the ropes. God opposes the proud. Look at verse 18. Then he became very thirsty, and he called to the Lord and said, You have handed this great victory over to your servant, and now I am to die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised. He becomes dehydrated. I think if you fought a thousand people, you'd probably get dehydrated. And he's at the point, he's so dehydrated, he's not going to be able to rescue himself. I mean, he's going to have, like, heat stroke is, like, next, right? And he cries out to God, Because God is ensuring his dependence. God is putting a fine point on this. Yeah, go ahead. Glorify yourself. Write this poem. Name this place. Pretend that you did this. Even though you overcame a thousand people in battle, you can't overcome the fact that you're about to die of thirst. God leaves him on the ground struggling, crying out and saying, Not now, after all this, I'm going to die of thirst. I'm just, I'm, I'm going to perish from, for that reason. Suddenly, he needs God. Suddenly, he needs something from God. So he calls to God, and again, don't miss the mixed messaging here. The first thing is, that's happening is that he's very entitled even in this call. He, do, he says, you gave this battle into my hands, or you delivered it to my hand. He's basically, the way the language is structured there is he's saying, you wanted me to be victorious for you. So he's still taking credit for what happened. And then he says, and then he has, but he does have an acknowledgement. He says, I'm yours. He says, if I fall into the hands of the uncircumcised, it's going to look bad for you. Now he's still doing this with a lip service. He's, he's mocking God's choice of him and God's need essentially to save him. I want you to understand something. Uh, God is not threatened by this. God does not look at Samson right now and see his language and go, how am I going to prove to this guy that I'm in charge? God's not insecure, right? He is dealing with Samson and he's making sure that Samson, even in his entitlement and his pride and his anger and his idolatry, that Samson understands without me, You would literally die right here, right now. Ask me to save you. It's your only chance. 
Right? So he does. He cries out. Look at verse 19. But God split the hollow place that, that is in Lehi, so the water came out of it. When he drank, his strength returned, and he revived. Therefore, he named it En-Hakor, which is in Lehi to this day. So he judged Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Okay, God provides. I want you to understand, God doesn't just provide. He provides miraculously. God makes it clear that he is the one delivering the great hero. And this guy who has heaped upon heaped the Philistines' bodies, he can't save himself at this moment. Only because of God's provision can he escape. But then... Samson, in classic form, he names it En-Hakor, which means the spring of him who called. He names it after himself. This guy cannot get out of his own way. He cannot. He is so prideful that even as God is saying, I'm not done with you yet. You need me, and I'm not done using you for my benefit. Has Samson really, like, won at any point? Like, sure, he just killed all these Philistines, but even in that... He's, he doesn't survive unless God gives him water. He wasn't able to get the wife that he wanted. He, he hasn't been able to accomplish anything. God's not threatened by him. God is saying, I'm still using you, don't worry. But I just want you to, we're just going to let you know right here that it's only because of my provision that you're even going to be able to keep living. And Samson, in defiance to that, he proceeds to name the fountain after himself. We look at Samson, and there's this tendency in us to go, wow, this guy is prideful. He is a jerk. I don't, why does he not get that he can't be this way to God? Especially if you know where the story goes. You're sitting here going, wow, what a jerk. I need you guys to understand something. This is us. You are not better than Samson. As a matter of fact, it's only by the grace of God that you aren't exactly like Samson. And if you haven't experienced God's grace in your life, you will be like Samson. You may not ever be that brave, like that blatant with it. You might not take something that you saw miraculously that God did and go, I'm going to name this for myself. You just won't say thank you. You won't live for his glory. You won't obey his commands. You are not somehow morally superior to Samson. This is the state of our spirits when we do not have the righteous king. I need you to understand that, that God is the only person, the only being, the only one who is undefeated. If you're not on his side, you're going to be just like Samson. You're going to constantly be frustrated. Who, who else do we see in the story? The Philistines? They were against God. They've been destroyed. Samson's being used by God, but he's not getting anything out of it. And the Israelites are too weak to even participate. Nobody wins Except God. And if you're not on God's team and following God, you don't win either. There's no version where you come out ahead, but you didn't do it God's way. It doesn't work like that. And until you figure that out and you say, I'm going to humble myself and I'm just going to be wherever God wants me to be. I'm going to be doing whatever God wants me to do. And here's the thing is that the testimony of the, the word of God is this. Everybody who does that, everybody who submits themselves to God, they get, they get great and glorious things in this life and in the next life. Now, don't, don't mishear me. Again, it's not prosperity gospel. doesn't mean if I just submit to God, 
Ferraris are going to start showing up at my house, right? It's, it's not like that. It's that you will begin to see true joy in who God is and what he's doing. And when you participate that, it will fill you up. It will fill you up to the brim and you will find real joy. You will find real purpose. And you will stop, by the way, being frustrated about everything you can't control in this life. It's an illusion that you've got control over any of it. You don't. I want you to look at Samson and see yourself. We've been going through the book of Judges, and the whole point is, this is our natural state going downhill at all times if God doesn't do something. We need a king. God is the king of the strong. You can't steal his glory. He wants to show you how much you need him and that you are not strong enough to handle this life by yourself. And then the last note we see is he judged Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. That probably doesn't make sense by itself, but compare that to what we've had before. There's no rest. There's no peace. It doesn't say, and the land had peace or the land had rest for 20 years. It says he judged for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. This is one of the least successful judges in the book of Judges because he's in charge for 20 years and they are still held under the thumb of God's enemies for the whole time. Samson doesn't accomplish his sole purpose in life, which is to be the deliverer of the people of Israel because he's constantly trying to do it his way. I wish that I could like look into each one of your futures and tell you the unique and awesome purpose that God has for you. I don't have that ability, but I need you to understand something. God has a unique and awesome purpose for each and every one of you, but you will never get there. You won't see it if you are not submitted to him. You won't participate in it. You won't move that direction. And even if you manage to have some kind of relationship with God that manifests in you making it to heaven, this life will be a waste for you. If you want anything you do to matter here, you need to understand that there's only one undefeated king. He's the king in the chaos of your life. He's the king in the weak moments of your life. And he is the king in the strong moments of your life. And if you will follow this undefeated king, It'll change everything about your life. It'll change everything you go through. Or you can be like Samson. And you can be frustrated. And you can end up living alone in a rock. And it's not great. Hey guys, this is Philip Jackson, pastor of Young Adults at Evergreen Baptist Church. I want to invite you to come to Reach. We meet every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at Evergreen Church in South Tulsa, just east of Mingo on 111th Street. The mission of Reach Tulsa is to cultivate a young adult community that's defined by real transformation and a sincere pursuit of a godly life through training in biblical disciplines, personal development, 
and intentionally transitioning into independence as mature members of the body of Christ. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like and subscribe to our content. We're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Reach Young Adult Ministry is a part of Evergreen Baptist Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information and additional lessons, please visit our website, evergreenbc.org.